Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we continue in prayer? Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning. What a privilege it is. And we thank you that we can do this, uh, both uh, electronically and also in person. And as we sing and as we pray and as we listen, Lord, uh, we draw our attention to you. And we pray now as we open up Scripture that, uh, Lord, that we will be drawn even closer to you, that we will learn more about you, learn more about each other, and that it will continue, that you will continue by your Holy Spirit to change us in uh, profound ways to become more like you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, it's just not fair. I don't know if you've ever seen that before or done that before, you know, complete with the foot stomp. It's not fair. It's not fair. Uh, Tyler was preaching last week and he touched on this. Uh, usually when someone says that, what they mean, sometimes what they mean is uh, things aren't the same. When we say fair, we might mean same or equal. And growing up in our house, we taught our daughters that actually life isn't fair in those terms. Uh, things aren't the same. In fact, it's good that things aren't the same. Difference is very good. And as far as equal goes, well, a half a cup of coffee is not equal to a full cup of coffee. And so, but, but there's another part to fair, and that is um, a sense of rightness. A sense of rightness. When we treat people with dignity and respect, we treat people properly, that's a sense of fairness. And what we looked at last week was the question, and we were looking in uh, Micah, and, and the question, what can we expect from God, especially when life is not fair? And what we learned from last week is that we can expect justice from God. And when we speak about justice, really what we mean is right-making. That the Lord is interested in making things right. And that is why this prophecy to, to the Israelites in Micah about a coming and a making of things right. So the Lord is interested in making things right. He's not interested in condemning in the first instance, as we read in John 3.17, but making things right. The outcome of which is that there is consequence and a judgment on wrong and wrongdoers. And so this is what we understand. The will and the action of our God is to make things right. To reverse the curse of sin and alienation from Adam and Eve onwards. To reverse what happened in the uh, Tower of Babel and all of that, and to bring about this right-making, and ultimately to condemn Satan and all that is wicked and evil to finally to, to loss and to ruin. But why would he make this prophecy and make this proclamation through the prophet Micah so long ago? Well, in one instant, it is, as we talked about last week, that is the content of our hope. Hope is a looking forward to something. But what is it that we look forward to? We all, from little children to older adults, have this innate desire that things will be made right. 
And we can hope, our hope is that God will make things right now and ultimately when he returns. But the reason for this prophecy in advance is also that it informs and shapes the way we as followers of Jesus live today. That we participate with him as we become gospel, as we gospel the gospel, that we participate with him in making things right. And so when we have uh, the brown bag for kids program here on Mondays and Wednesdays, that is an active way of what we sense is making something right that makes sense. The food bank, it's making things right. Even the food grains bank that we're participating in is a way of making things right. It is divine justice. And even locally, when you are at school or when you are at work and you see something, not a sense of equal or the same, but when something isn't right and you know it, and as followers of Jesus, you participate with the Lord in taking an action to make something right. And that is the content of our hope. That God makes things right. And this morning we continue in the book of Micah. On to the next candle as we were lighting this morning and announcing peace. Well, it's 4 a.m. I looked up how many songs refer to 4 a.m. Apparently for songwriters, 4 a.m. connotes middle of the night. 4 a.m. is the middle of the night when... People either wake or can't get to sleep. When there's trouble on your mind or trouble afoot, it's 4 a.m. And they're not that far off. Um, I don't know, maybe if you are like me, I have rolled over and looked at the glow of my alarm clock in the middle of the night, and it's been 3-something or 4-something. And you just can't sleep. Because thoughts are sort of bouncing around like those old pinball machines with those little ping, 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 and those thoughts are just bouncing around. And we want peace. We long for it. And yet it seems to be either in short supply or not accessible at all. But our Creator knows and desires, wills for us to have peace. What is His prescription? For peace. What is the divine prescription for peace? The answer to that is very surprising, actually. It's, it was surprising to uh, the people in Micah's day, and it is surprising to us as well. There is a lot of static that interferes with our peace. Some people are anxious about the future, some are depressed about the past. There are worries, things like exams, uh, marks. How will I fit in? Who likes me? Who doesn't like me? What about jobs? They seem to be in short supply, or maybe my job is tenuous. And health, the health, your health, the health of someone that you care about, a wayward son, a wayward daughter. And then all those protocols that parents and guardians have to navigate through school and what used to be a sniffle is now a big deal. 
Oh, and then there is the irony of Advent, as I call it. It's in this December season, during Christmas season, when we talk about these things like hope and peace, that we seem to have actually less of it because we have decided to get busier. And we go from place to place, and we get to the mall, and we make lists, and we fill our calendars, and the peace that we desire seems, seems to elude us because we fill our calendar as opposed to actually opening up space. The Lord knows and desires and wills for us to live in and have peace. What is His prescription for peace? How will He deliver and rescue us? What is that divine prescription? For the people in Micah's day, in approximately 700 B.C., they were also in difficulty and had a lack of peace. In fact, they were under siege. If you turn with me to the book of Micah, chapter 5, Micah chapter 5, I'm going to just read the first verse. Now you are walled around with a wall. Siege is laid against us. With the rod they strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. There is no peace for the people of God at this time. There is no peace because they are literally under siege about to engage in war. But there's also no peace for them spiritually, religiously, emotionally. Because they were um, the people of God, and yet now they are in this very difficult situation. They have, they were the people of God, but then their life denigrated into all sorts of licentiousness and, and, and human pursuit, and they wandered and alienated themselves from God. But I'm sure they wondered, even though they had sort of really uh, removed themselves from following God, I'm sure they wondered in that time when they were under siege, how could this be? And they had been looking for a way out now. They were looking for rescue. They were looking for deliverance. But what would, what would that look like? How would they be able to recognize it, this desire for peace? Because they had for so long now been taking matters into their own hands. Human reason, human effort, driven by their own interests and passions and desires. But now when they are under siege, all of a sudden they begin to realize how sort of faulty that is. And that those human pursuits are failing. In fact, it's essentially futile because all of that can't bring them rescue. Does not bring them peace. But the Lord desires for His people to live in peace and have peace. And what is that prescription, that divine prescription? Well, we continue... In Micah, starting in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when he, she who is in labor, has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock. 
in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. The Lord, through the prophet Micah, tells the people that help is on the way. And I want us to notice a couple of things in this passage as we continue here uh, this morning. The first is this specific reference, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah. That's actually a, a, a very specific reference because there are actually two Bethlehems. So this Bethlehem of Ephrathah is the one that's just five miles south uh, uh, west of Jerusalem. It's not the one that's in the territory of Zebulun. But it's also very specifically a reference to the place of David the king. It's the birthplace of King David. That's the other specific point. The other thing that is mentioned in here in verse 3 is that the prophet Micah says that there will not be another king until the king that he prophesies about will arrive. There's going to be a gap where there will be no kings. And then the final big piece that's re referenced in verse 4 and the uh, 5a is that this king that will come that is prophesied about will be like a shepherd that feeds the flock. A shepherd that cares for people as opposed to all of the kings that have come to this point who have been largely self-interested. It's a very different kind of king. And this king who is like a shepherd as prophesied here by Micah in 700 BC, this king who is prophesied will be like a shepherd and he will stand secure. He will be an eternal king, a king that will not have an end. And that is security, security and will bring about peace. Now what happens is in King David's time, 900 BC in that time frame, all the people of, uh, of God, the Israelites, were together as one. But then after King David and Solomon, after that time, they, they split up. And there was the northern part, which is called Israel, and the southern part, which is called Judah. They were divided like this. And Micah was ref now referring to the people in the north and saying that they were under siege. And actually what lands up happening in the course of history is that shortly after that, the northern kingdom is overtaken and they are under siege and they are removed. Then a short time later in the southern kingdom, within a hundred years, a little bit more, the southern kingdom is also taken into captivity and they are gone. And by 586... All of the people of God were taken into captivity and removed from their homeland. From five, now listen, from 586 B.C., there were no more kings for the people of God. That is, until the birth of Jesus. There were no more kings, as was prophesied, until the birth of Jesus. And I want to take you first to Luke chapter 2. Because we read these verses during the Advent. But we seldom have the actual context for what's going on. And the context is large. 900, 800, 700, 586. And now we come to Luke chapter 2. And listen to this 
starting in verse 10 to 11, and then I'm going to read 13 and 14. So Jesus, angels appear to the shepherds, and then they say this, that the shepherds are freaked out, of course, because this is brilliant in the sky, and this is unusual. And in verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King, the Anointed One, who is the Lord. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among whom his favor rests. So they announced this king. They announced this anointed one, that is God's appointed king who is Messiah, Savior, and who will bring about peace on earth. And then we're going to go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. I want to read this. Listen to this. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Judea, the southern kingdom, Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is this child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. It was like they kind of knew this was coming. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd his people, Israel. I mean, I love that. God, through the prophet Micah, prophesies that there is going to be another king, that there will be help that is coming. There is going to be a king, a Messiah, an anointed one, a specific person who will be born in a specific place at a specific time. And that specific person born in that specific time who is the shepherd, Messiah, and king is none other than Jesus. The prescription for, from God, God's divine prescription for peace is the gift of presence. Presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Presence is the present that brings about peace. It is God who finally comes himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So then peace is possible. Peace is promised. Peace between God and humankind peace between human beings, and even peace of mind and emotion and will.
And what is so surprising about this? You know, when we read Scripture and when we think through some of the biblical truths, sometimes there are things that cause us to ask questions or that are troubling or difficult or surprising. And I want to encourage us, when there is something that seems unsettling or we're not sure or there's something that's surprising, I want to encourage us. That is like an accent in, in language, you know, when you put an accent on something so that you actually know how to pronounce it. That's what surprises. When something is kind of dissonant, it's actually an accent to say, hey, lean in there. Just dig in a little further. Lean in more. Don't avoid that. Ask some questions. And let's figure this out. And don't gloss over it. We need the accent of the surprise and the difficulty to figure out what's actually going on. It's so surprising to the people in 700 BC and then even the people in 33 AD, what was surprising is that the rescue and that this restoration, that this king, this Messiah would come from this wee little itty bitty place called Bethlehem, this insignificant place. Because even back in those days, everything was about prominence and about being big and having a high profile. And important meant you were, like, had all that. When really, God works this totally other way. It's so surprising that what humans consider weakness is not actually weak at all. That His his grace is revealed through these things because it's Him. He is revealing Himself through what we and human beings would consider insignificant is not insignificant to the Lord. And then it's also surprising that He would reach back and talk about uh, a reference to David where David was born. Why would He bother with that? The Lord made a promise way back then, even earlier. The Lord made a promise. In, in church language, we call it covenant. But God made a promise that he would do this. And when God makes a promise, unlike human beings, God makes a promise and he fulfills the promise. He actually embodies the promise. He himself is the content of his promise. And so what we have through this hundreds and hundreds of years is what we would call progressive fulfillment, progressive revelation and progressive fulfillment. It's this unrolling, this progressive fulfillment of God's plans and desires. But then I was thinking, yeah, but it's so weird because this was prophesied in 700 BC and it seems like they had to wait like hundreds of years why would they have to wait so long? And could it have happened sooner? It could have happened sooner. I don't know. There's no way to know. But we do know that it took hundreds of years. And then I began to realize, and it, a, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, he was gone to heaven now, uh, a, a chaplain, 
I was reading his devotional, and this devotional that he read, and it feels like we are still in conversation. And he reminded me of this important truth, and that is that peace is not the removal or the elimination of turmoil. Peace is brought about by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was what was so surprising on my mind is as I was thinking about this, why they had to wait so long, I was thinking just like so many other people that peace meant the removal of all the difficulty and all the turmoil and all the conflict. That's what I was thinking about when it came to peace, but that's not actually what peace is. Peace is the presence and the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of turmoil and difficulty. Amen? And they could have had peace sooner. They could have had peace sooner. Could they have had peace sooner? But it's through that waiting time that we learn this important, important lesson. I want to invite the music team to come up onto the platform. As we just finish here with a couple of things, I want to get very specific with you this morning. <laughs> I want to apply some things. They're not in your notes. So, you, so you, if you're in live stream or here this morning, you'll, you'll need to write these things down. The Lord Jesus Christ, by His coming, His birth, His death, His burial, resurrection, and ascension. By the Lord Jesus Christ, peace has come and been established between human beings and God. That is done. (laughs) Okay? It's now available to everyone who will believe and receive. That peace between human beings and God is made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's also peace available to us all in the present. The Lord desires for us to have peace now already, even though not fully completed. But peace now already. And friends, I believe one of the things we need to do is we need to revision, reimagine what weakness looks like and what that is all about. We will all have, or right now, experience some, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's fear, maybe it's whatever the circumstances are that may come into our life that interfere with or disrupt fear. But the Lord wants us to have it, and He wants to give it to us even in this moment. And those times of turmoil is exactly the room where we meet the Lord of peace, the Prince of Peace. That is the room where we meet the Prince of Peace. Isaiah, it's interesting that that, uh, Tyler read from Isaiah 26, because earlier in that same chapter, 26 verse 3, Isaiah says, The steadfast of mind, the determined of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because that person trusts in you. What Isaiah is saying is if you are determined to trust the Lord, then he will give you peace in exchange for your trust. 
And so one of the things I want to encourage you to do is pray, Lord, increase my trust. In that room where you were desiring peace, in that room of turmoil where we can meet the Prince of Peace, pray, Lord Jesus, increase my trust. And then the second thing is to practice the presence of the Lord. And with this, I want to give you a couple of examples of practicing the presence. What does that mean, practice the presence? Well, one of the things we need to do, first of all, to practice the presence, is to remind ourselves that Jesus is here. If you saw Hanukkah's video on our YouTube channel, she talked about that the Lord is with us. Children, this is a book that... Um, we got back, I don't know, so many years ago, when our daughters were just little babies, it is called Jesus is With Me. I still remember this book. So while I was doing sermon prep this week, and this came to my, to my mind, I texted Kimberly, and I said, do we still have that little sort of cardboard book, Jesus is With Me? Because practicing the presence means reminding yourself that Jesus is with you. And so when I'm going to read some of these things, and I want you to repeat the phrase, Jesus is with me. Listen to this. On a bus, come with us, Jesus is with me. On a horse, strong of course, Jesus is with me. On a bike that I like, Jesus is with me. Up and down, all around, Jesus is with me. In a Jeep, beep, beep, beep. Jesus is with me. Are you getting it? In a boat that will float, Jesus is with me. On a raft, hear us laugh. Up in space, every place. Yes, on a train, in the rain. In a car, going far. On a sled, painted red. Here and there, everywhere. I think adults, I think y'all need to order one of these. <laughs> okay. The second part of practicing the presence that I want to give you this morning is to talk and listen to the Lord. I, some people call it praying. I'm calling it talk and listen to the Lord. Both talk to Him and listen to Him. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And what's the rest of it? And the peace of God, which surpasses human understanding, that Tolu was referring to earlier, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And it reminded me of this song, this hymn, um, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And, and maybe if you, 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 I don't know if you know that song. Anybody know that song? Yeah, what a friend we have in Jesus. Lorraine, could you give us a chord here to, let's see if we can sing it. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And here's the next part. Oh, what pain we've been often forfeit. Oh, what 
needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to god in prayer i kind of messed up that line oh what peace we often forfeit oh what pain we needless bear I want to give you one last thing this morning as we conclude. I'm going to ask the music team then to lead us in a song. And that is to join with the Lord in being peacemakers. Matthew 5 verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And how do we do that? There are two ways where we can participate with the Lord in peacemaking. Be a non-anxious presence. That is, be a peaceful presence. Be a peaceful presence. So when you are with people, before you say or do anything, check your own heart. Am I at peace? Am I getting all angry or uptight? Check and say, Lord, make me peaceful. Help me to be a non-anxious presence. And then the second part of being a peacemaker is to empathize. You're going to have to look that word up because it's really difficult for under, us to understand what empathy means. But to actually consider what other people are feeling. We need to connect with other people well before we do anything in the way of correcting. A non-anxious presence and empathize. Presence is the present of mind. Presence and the promise of peace. 